Hello, and welcome back to Polliver, a BMX podcast with Chris Doyle. This is my interview with Jay Rowe. To a lot of people, this interview doesn't come as a surprise because, as a lot of you know, Jay and I have traveled a lot together in the last 10 years. Jay is a very interesting character, and I really love Jay's backstory as to what he was into prior to him getting into BMX and before BMX completely took over his life. So I really enjoyed this interview. I had a lot of fun with it, and I hope you enjoy it too. This is Jay Rowe. Welcome back. This is my interview with Jay Rowe. Jay is a really good friend of mine, and that's really weird to say because I met you like in my mid twenties, and uh, when I usually when you talk about your your really good friends, it's someone that you've known since childhood, and uh, I think you kind of came in late in my life. Yeah. But uh, ever since I've met you, it's been very memorable, <laughs> and. I've always loved your story. I've loved traveling with you and like listening to your tales. And uh, some, some of the stuff that you told me just seems so crazy and not even possible, but uh, it's just the story of Jay. <laughs> uh, I'm flattered to hear that. Yeah, I, 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 tell, I would come home from trips sometimes and I'd be like, you gotta meet this guy, Jay. <laughs> it's like that? Okay. Yeah. No, no, I appreciate that. I'm stoked to be here to chat. Chilling. Yeah, thank you so much for agreeing. You of course. Seemed, you seemed pretty apprehensive about sitting down and, and sharing your story. You think so? I, you didn't seem as like <laughs> stoked. You're like, yeah, I guess I'll do it. But that's you, right? Like, I'm stoked. Okay. <laughs> well, you're the um, you're the second guy from upstate New York that I've interviewed. The first being Steve Buttendeck. Yes, one of my um, BMX industry idols. He's great idol. Yeah, to have. I mean, he's been behind the scenes forever. You know. Pulling strings, puppet master, but no one, you know, you don't know unless you know. Yeah, unsung hero. He's done it all. Very respect, very, uh, I respect a lot what Buttendeck's done and still he continues to do it really. But. If you want to know more about Steve Buttendeck, just go back uh, and, and find the, the Polliver podcast with it's Steve It's very Budendick. informative. Yeah, it's great. It's great stuff. Uh, he's currently the, the front runner, the leader of uh, downloads as far as uh, my listeners oh, go. Oh, really? Yeah. So let's see if you can beat I it. I can hope I can get to half that. So, um, Steve's best friend, Hal Brindley, is from Penfield, New York. This is this is information I've just recently found out due to the podcast. <laughs> I love that we keep plugging. <laughs> but, uh, so Hal Brindley was a huge influence on me as well. In that, like he, you know, started to be clothing and then play clothing, and, and they lived in North Carolina for a while. So. You're also from Penfield, New York. It's which, very, very strange to think about now. But that, I mean, is it just like to inspirational people? It just, was. It already blew my mind that Zach Phillips, the owner of Kink and Black Oak Distribution, is from Fairport, which is the town right next to where I grew up. Greg Walsh of you know Primo BMX fame, and then go on to Hell and Earth Coalition. Um, he's from Fairport, the town right next to me. Um, there was these guys that were you know super huge in the industry and the scene even from the early days on to in the early 2000s where I when I started riding and they literally grew up like around my area my neighborhood I was just like it's crazy to me the more that the more I learned about Rochester I'm still learning about Rochester the history of Rochester and upstate New York BMX and how much it's like influenced the industry as a whole yeah it's crazy yeah what what is I mean, I've been to Penfield, but tell the listeners or the viewers, I should say now since we're, we're filming this, and a big thanks to Chad Osborne and, and Daryl Taco for setting up the these dudes, cameras. and always dependable. Yeah, great guys. Uh, talk a little bit about life in Penfield, New York, right outside of Rochester. It's just, uh, I don't know, middle class, like normal, kind of like northeast city very um, suburban very suburban uh there's an unfortunate like, opioid uh heroin addiction issue going on right now in the area which oh. is which is very strange because it's a nice place to grow up um people you know upper middle class uh upper class type of people living around there it's like a good nice place but um it's that's, just normal that's really, really you, uh, that's really crazy because i've been there a few times now and it doesn't seem like the type of place that you would, would never a, you would never have guess a drug it, problem but wow. it's going on uh, all over the place and then in the town in my neighborhood and the neighborhoods like yeah it's crazy wow it's very crazy people we were growing up with people who graduated from school dying losing limbs getting busted it's that's, very strange just happening in like such a normal normal place that's terrible 
Yeah. So it sounds like it was a good thing that you got out of there. Yeah, for sure. Honestly, there's a couple of guys that I originally started riding back, back with when I was in like eighth grade. You know, they're some of the worst off. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's pretty Dude, I didn't know that. That sucks. Yeah. So I go back and honestly, we're just back home now. Um, and I was with a couple of the guys like from the team and we were, went into like a local bar. And there's some guys from my high school there, and it was almost like embarrassing. It was like embarrassing a little bit, just because they, uh, some of the guys, just some, some of them have some issues that I can't believe. You know, we did the same thing growing up, and one of us took that path, and the other one took that path, and yeah. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, that's terrible. Oh, I'm sorry to. No, <laughs> no. But besides that, Penfield is amazing. Penfield's an awesome town. It's just a, it's a nice little place outside, just in outside of Rochester, New York, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great place to grow up, for yeah. sure. Grow up and then move on a little then bit. Then move on. Yeah. See what else is out there. Um, one of my favorite things that I learned about you uh, early in our travels was uh, I'm a huge hockey fan. And I was talking to you about hockey one day, and you were like, yeah, um, I was a super good hockey player. <laughs> and I'm like looking at you, and you're like skinny and gangly. And I'm like, no, you weren't. Because like, hockey players are big guys. And you're like, yeah, I was like uh, one of the best hockey players and lacrosse players in my school. I played with, and you mentioned all these names of, of guys that went on to the NHL that you were playing with, the guys that went on to like prep school and had successful like college yeah. careers or, or careers in the NHL. And I didn't really believe you. And then I started to meet more of your friends that grew up with you. Right, coming into and I'm like, and stuff. I'm like, was Jay actually a good hockey player and they're like oh my god <laughs> he was like the the ruler of our high school he now was, it's grown into this this big myth that i was the well i love it but like because everyone had to take some sort of everyone's lives were going in a different direction until we find bmx right. like we're all like totally. people are either like going to go to college or they're going to join the workforce and it sounded to me like you had a a good promising lead on, on going to like either college or maybe going on the, to play pro in either lacrosse or hockey. And I'm saying this again in that like I talked to your dad one time at a contest and I was like, so is, is Jay, was he as good as they say at uh, <laughs> hockey and lacrosse? I had to get it straight from the source. And I, I, I'm talking with your dad and I just watch his whole face change. And he goes, Chris... He could have gone anywhere. <laughs> I'm in the background, like eating shit on my bike. Or yeah, he could have done anything. So, fill me in a little bit about that, about your hockey prowess. And- uh, honestly, um, when I started playing hockey, I, I grew. I learned how to ride a bike when I was three years old, and I learned how to like skate and play hockey when I was like three or four years old. And um, I just got super serious. I, I was I was good at it at a young age, and. My parents were super supportive um, with that whatever I was into, and I, you know, enjoyed playing hockey. And for whatever reason, you know, I was just a kid, but it just kind of snowballed and became uh, really like serious. Um, I was, you know, I was playing playing all year round, playing for different teams in the county and all star teams, composite kids from like all over the state, um, traveling every weekend as like a ten year old. <laughs> um, it was like not serious, but it it was pretty serious stuff, I guess. Um, a lot of the guys, a lot, a lot of the guys that I, kids that I was playing with at the time, from probably like eight to ten years old, all the way up to sixteen, seventeen, went on to play, you know, in the NHL, AHL, IHL, play overseas. Um, it was something that I guess they people take seriously at a young age out there. Well, Rochester, upstate New York in general, is like. That's a hockey market. Yeah, a lot of people play hockey. It's pretty serious. A lot of families are really into hockey. Um, the whole family would be into it, and they've been, you know, circling through the family for decades at this point in Rochester. So, it's definitely like a hockey city, or at least it was when I when I was when I was growing up. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of successful NHLers that came out of Rochester. Rochester, Buffalo, um, like Buffalo, the, actually a lot. The Giantas. The Giantas. Callahan. Uh, Callahan's and Kane is from Buffalo. Yeah. Um, there's all kinds. There's, there's that a lot. A lot of dudes actually. Um, yeah, for one reason or another, and I don't know if just because the weather sucks so bad and this hockey rink, you know, there's more access to hockey rinks and stuff, but. Um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of hockey going on. So it was super serious. It was like I was never super serious like kid and super competitive and anything like that. But I was just kind of good at it and enjoyed playing it. 
and you know year after year went by and kind of got kind of kind of grew as far as to like what I was what I was what teams I was able to play on and where we were able to go I was able to miss a lot of school go play for tournaments play things all weekend um, my parents you know were super supportive we, you know we were in hotels and driving long distance every weekend for tournaments dude and stuff. It's, a, it's an expensive sport. it really is yeah and you know my dad's just a you know regular uh, you know union worker that works his ass off my mom's a nurse and they they really allowed for me to have this kind of like uh, pretty unique uh, childhood athletic experience. Yeah. Um, I got to travel a lot and see like a lot of like a small part of the country and a bit of Canada as well at a very young age. Yeah. So that was super cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you're in high school. You're like the star of the, the high school. I've talked to a few of your friends and they're like, yeah, he was like the man in our high school. The, the thing with high school is that I started, pl- I played for the varsity hockey team as an eighth grader in middle school. So that was kind of a big deal. People, a couple, if you were cared about sports at all, whatever, you might have known about it. And I would get to go to high school at the, like, I would leave middle school a little bit early, go to high school, practice with a team, and kind of be in like this weird little like different scene as a young kid. So that was kind of cool, cool experience for sure. Um, but it was super serious, and I was especially for like a young kid that I wasn't even in high school yet, and I'm playing with like dealing with and playing with like seniors in high school. So it was a, it's a pretty interesting experience. But yeah, that was. That was when things, when it was like make or break time. I had to decide like what I was, was this something that I was taking super serious for real? Or, um, you know, other things were going to take over interest-wise. So you were like a junior in high school. And, and had you gotten into riding? At what age were you like starting to ride BMX more? I started to, I still really got into riding when, in like, as like a fresh, eighth grade freshman in high school so that would be like 14 or 15 or whatever okay um but then 15 16 what i was was when i really started to have like a passion for it and understand what was happening um that the what kind what the culture was all about and you know looking at magazines and get get just getting into it um i was super into it super stoked um at this point i didn't know that kink was out of rochester but i was a fan of kink already and I just was getting super, super into BMX riding while playing sports and stuff like any other kid. I, I finally, you know, my parents got me, got me a bike and then, you know, that bike went to shit. I got a, you know, I got a kink for the first time, whatever. So, uh, that was, that was, uh, it was about that time when I started to get serious. I had to, I started to get serious about BMX, but was also getting serious about, you know, what I'm doing with my sports career slash education. Yeah. Um, and they obviously didn't mesh very well. Yeah, those are two different paths. It's two very different paths. Yeah, um, and yeah, ultimately I was very tired of the one path. But it sounds <laughs> like you had done it your entire life. I'd done it for so long. Um, I had coaches and trainer type people and not pressure really, but, but pressure to an extent from, you know, parents and, and people like that. But yeah, I was just over it, really. I was burnt out. I'd played it for so long and dedicated so much time to it. And I did have some opportunities to, you know, play, to continue and play, play, uh, play in colleges and, you know, with potential scholarships. I played lacrosse as well. I was athletic for what I didn't really like try to be athletic. I didn't eat well. I didn't work out and stuff like that. But I just kind of was able to able to play these sports that I was into like well enough to get by yeah. somehow. <laughs> But when it came down to it, I, um, yeah, I was just burnt out. And BMX offered, obviously, you know, the same story that you hear is like a completely different outlet that just took me way farther than I pictured, like uh, any, like playing hockey wood or, uh, or something like that, you know? Yeah. And you mentioned like having all those coaches and all that pressure, like BMX, it's a lot more freedom to to do the thing that you love like you don't really need yeah i've been yelled at and seen grown men cry more than any like kid should have by that by the time he's 15 you know like just you know it's just a lot to sometimes it was a lot to handle for playing a sport with you know no real reward besides like you know the coaches being stoked or whatever your record at the end of the year but yeah it was it was time to like i was done with i was done being told what to do, when to do it, how to do it type of deal. You told me the story once about your very last hockey game. You were like a junior in high school. 
it's like overtime or no, no it wasn't overtime like the third period was winding down yeah the game's on your shoulder yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, it was like a boo. it was like some Anaheim it was like some Mighty Duck shit yeah you shoot the puck from like between the circles right yeah and it hits the top bar and just shoots straight up into the sky yeah just ab- <laughs> yeah just above just in the center like uh, yeah between two circles just ripped like a snapshot off the crossbar and bing boom all the way up back down that was that game's over didn't go into it didn't make sectionals um, season's over and that was the not end. knowing that that not knowing that that was going to be the end of my hockey career right um, that was the end of my hockey career wow I okay. kind of had an idea it might be but but at this point you said BMX was leaking in it was leaking in but I, I everything that I was in my town and to my family and my friends was like this hockey and lacrosse player right that was like like he dressed kind of you know he wore like black t-shirts a bunch and like rode a BMX bike around and had skater shoes on but he was a hockey player right um, it was around that time that I felt I totally didn't identify with that at all anymore and that's like, and then BMX is like yeah that's you know. what you identify with that's yeah. what you're going for now was anyone disappointed when like so you're you were a junior when that went down and then you're a senior and you're not playing these sports anymore we're like people like dude what the fuck yeah I mean the coaches were obviously I don't know if they were shocked because like said I think some of them like saw it coming because my interest levels was obviously like waning but everyone thought I was into drugs and or was doing something bad because why would he just stop doing something that's so positive that he's good at and blah 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 um that was hard for a lot of people to understand I don't think so much my parents but other people, like coaches and, you know, random kids at high school that cared for some reason. Right. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It was, <laughs> it was a funny transition because I never would have imagined that transition at the time. But it was almost like taking, making this weird, like, leap as a kid without even understanding that's what I was really doing. Yeah. So... Uh, I'm looking at my notes here. Uh, when you were like, when you were starting to become obsessed with riding, were you like, oh, I'm, did you think to yourself like, I want to be pro, or were you like, I just want to be involved? And you f- you find out that Kink is from Rochester eventually. Right, that was a huge mind blower. <laughs> For some reason, I had missed it. Like for the first couple issues of Ride, like the back covers, Kink's always had the back back cover ad, and uh, just never. I didn't realize it. And when I realized it, I was like, whoa, like this is, this is like, this is here. This is happening here where I am. You know, it just felt insane. I had my dad, you know, drive me down to where I, where the warehouse was. I went and looked at the front door, had all stickers on it. And I was just, for one reason or another, I just thought it was so cool. It was just these shitty stickers in this grimy ass door in this shitty hallway in downtown Rochester in this crappy building i was like this is the coolest thing ever wow it was it was very just immediately it was like i need to be a part of this some way somehow and like of course i wanted to be, be a pro bike rider when i was a kid but but more than that like i think the thing that really got me my like brain turning into, into all this was watching the mira super tours on like espn okay they get in the bus he had some baller ass bus and they start driving around and hit a skate park and blah, blah, blah. Mirror Super Tour was like, just a, you know, it was like sick back in the day. Yeah. And I was just like immediately like, how, like why, how are these guys doing this during the day? Like, how, where, why aren't they at work or at school? <laughs> or like, how is this possible to do that like that many days in a row? Or like, just I had so many questions. So I was immediately like, I was immediately immersed into like, how does this all work? This is insane. Like these guys are just like, riding bikes all day, traveling around and doing whatever they want to do. So I immediately just had like an interest in the behind the scenes, like right off the bat. And that was being pro bike rider, how these brands worked, you know, where they were from, why, you know, who's, who the owners were, what they did before that. It was all just like fascinating. So you just wanted to be involved somehow? Just wanted to be involved. I thought it was so awesome. I really did. I don't know why or it just, like it just grabbed me. It- I don't know who who knows why BMX grabs a hold of any of us. Yeah, it's, it takes like a, a special person. I think Kink had such a cool like image at the time. I mean, this was like two thousand one ish. So Kink's image was like the black and red, super raw look, better living through industrialization. It's just badass. I just it was like kind of punk rock feel for me as a kid. It was like this is no one from high school knows 
about King BMX, so it was like super alternative. Yeah, you thought you were in on some like. Yeah, I was really. I still do think I'm in on some shit that like people don't like. Yo, you don't know about this yet? Are you crazy? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way. Of, yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Um, my next note was desperately wanting to work for Kink. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I just wanted to. I was just if any way possible to get in those doors. That these doors, I like these stick out. They're just covered in stickers. It just looked like this like clubhouse. This old grimy warehouse where they used to be. Well, yeah. Well, not to skip too far ahead, but when I showed up for the first yeah, time, you saw that. You opened place. that door. For I was me. behind the door, dude. It was like the only place I wanted to be. I didn't care what I was doing back there. It's like a metaphor for something. And at the time, I was just packing boxes when I opened that door for you. But I mean, I was doing a little bit of both. You hadn't been bumped up to team manager status when I got the job. It, Kink was so kind of low key at the time. Well, yeah. Let's not go too far ahead. Yeah. But like, what was your in? My in was, you know, my buddy Matt Antis, who's now the brand manager, he was working in the warehouse at the time. Um, and another guy named Sam White, who used to work there back in the day. It was just, uh, it was just evident. Everyone in, this, in Rochester and my friends and in the scene at our age knew that I, I was already, like, breathing this stuff. You know, I used to leave school early and go help full teachers when, when, uh, when orders would come in for free. You know, Zach would come to the skate park and yeah, I'd be like, hey, man, you guys, like... Let me come in, do whatever you need me to do. I'm there. I did like a little internship, a little job shadow there when I was in high school and like talked to the guys in the warehouse. You know, I was like, yeah, I have a horror, but I hope to get a kink soon. You know, I was just that kid. <laughs> kind of like a little Grom. Total little Grom kid that had no idea what was going on. You know, like every, like how everyone, you know, everyone's yeah. that. everyone knows what that's like, that rides. Um, but I happen to just be in this, in this place under the shadow of like kink that happened. I was so lucky to be from rochester fucking new york yeah i mean really i really was like it man it's i don't even know what i get <laughs> it's crazy to yeah think about. well I, I haven't really mentioned like that you're a pretty damn good bike rider as well, well i don't know but hey well yeah i don't want to just talk about your you know your your hockey and i don't sound like this like amazing like athletic well but the scene in rochester was really cool i, I always liked uh I mean, the only guy I knew from Rochester back then was Tony, Tony mm-hmm. Hamlin, who's not even from Rochester, really. He's, you know, pretty far outside Hamlin. Right. But he's, he's a Rochester local. Rochester sure. guy. And then, like, Tom Dillon and the Twins. Steve the Busk. Was it, a, he was born in Rochester, moved to Ohio, but it grew up in Rochester. Okay, okay. Yeah, like, you guys' scene seemed pretty, <laughs> pretty raw. It was pretty raw, but it was dope. Yeah. Yeah. We were heavy skate park kids at the time. Like, the indoor skate park scene was popping around that time. We had this place called Extremes in Rochester. It was an amazing, amazing skate park, and we were just really lucky to have Kink there, the skate park, and just, like, yeah, we had a really good scene going for a long time. And there was a lot of people coming through. There's a lot of people coming through. There's a lot of, like, hubbub excitement. FBM was only a couple couple hours away as well. They would come down to the skate park a bunch. Um, Tony got on FBM at at, at one point, eventually, and... uh, it was just a lot going on around that time for for such a weird pocket of the country, especially part of weird part of New York. Mm-hmm. There's just like there was lots happening. There's all, lots of riders coming out of there. There's like industry guys coming out of there. There was brands, you know, Kink was there and Coalition was based out of there at one point, and Sunday was based out of Rod- or based out of Buffalo for a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just weird. But we were really we were lucky to be able to be in this spot. With all these with these brands out here, the skate parks and yeah, it was a fun. It was a super fun scene to grow up in. That's cool, especially if people know about the twins. If you know Jesse or Alan Twin, uh, yeah, we were making some twins comparisons today at Swamp Fest. <laughs> we were talking about the twins, um, and we were saying how like uh, Brian the Bastard could be like the third twin. <laughs> he's like cut from the same cloth. Yeah. There, uh, that's a lot funnier if you know a who the twins are, b who Brian the Bastard right. is. But, I hope uh, you do. But. Um, but you didn't just go f- like straight from high school to Kink. You did try going to college. I tried right? it. I didn't because yeah, I didn't have this guaranteed job at Kink. But as I am, uh, as I was deciding what to do after I did stop playing the sports, I and kind of just become like this rider kid that was you know traveling around with his friends when he wasn't in school. I decided to go to college. Well, yeah, you once told me that you were going to school to be a stenographer. Well, that was after... After being... After, after going Kent for, like... State. I thought you went for, like, air traffic control? Air traffic control. You are going to be an air traffic controller. Yeah. 
That's right. And why, why would you pick these two professions? Because those are two... Very different. At the time, <laughs> I was like traveling. I was a kid. You know, I was 18. I hadn't really gone that many places yet, especially by plane. And I was like, I, airports are so sick. Like, I want to just be in airport, around airports so I could like... I just have this... I had this thing that was airports were cool. And I was like, air traffic controller would be like sick. Looked into it, like they make a bunch of money. They're stressed out all the time, but like, fuck it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was like, let's do it. I, I need. I didn't. Ha- I was like winging it. You know, I was like, I didn't have my job at Kink yet. I was like waiting because I was like, I'm gonna get in there somehow. Right. So I was just waiting. So I was like, I guess I was like, I don't want to work. I'm gonna go to like college, I guess, until you know, figure this out. I only made it four weeks. Obviously, I decided to go to Kent State under their aeronautical program. Wow. But uh, I got accepted to Purdue University as well. I wasn't a particularly good student in high school, but apparently I was good enough. Um, But yeah, it was an attempt at like, I don't know what. It's not like my parents put a ton of pressure on me or anything. Right. But my dad, you know, saved up, you know, helped me like go to school if I knew if I wanted to. But this wasn't for me. Right. So yeah, I go back home pretty much waiting for like someone to like get fired or something from the warehouse because I kind of was like, they got it, they put me in there next. Like, they know I'm the guy, and uh, and it just happened eventually after like a year or so. You get the you get the call that you're gonna yeah. I came home from college and was just working shitty jobs. I decided I'm gonna move to Philadelphia and enroll in stenography school because I can type really fast and like. <laughs> And I'm going to just, like, try to work this out. I was like, Philly's dope. I can go to the school here by Rittenhouse and just try to ride. And then, yeah, I got the gig. Like, I was signed up. I took a tour of this fucking stenography school in in Philly, too. And, uh, yeah, I had this little apartment picked out with some friends out there and was like, got this call. Got the call from, like, my buddy Matt and Sam who were there. I'm like, you're up. You want the warehouse job? We're going to, like give you the warehouse job and you know we're gonna try to like reef do some stuff with kink you can be like the tm guy because they knew that i was like i was like super bmx nerd kid like just knew everything knew everyone's name knew everyone's shit just was super into it yeah you know i like liked all the details and information about everyone and where they lived and what they're doing and trips and stuff like that yeah i noticed that real quick when we first got to know each other it's like wow he's like an encyclopedia yeah i just like love it like some guys you know like i don't know who that guy is or i don't care who that guy is like how do you not know this this is so dope all this stuff to know but there's a point where like it's almost lame if you're keeping up with anything yeah yeah. it's like how do you how do you have time to watch all these web videos? Yeah. It's like, I remember Daryl telling me years ago, he's like, man, Jay watches every video. <laughs> he knows who every dude is. Like, and it, but that's what you need when you're a team manager. And, and, and Well, for sure, yeah, that, that's the thing, you know. It's, you gotta be into it, you gotta want it. Yeah, and you gotta, I mean, you eventually, I mean, eventually you do become the team manager. You get upgraded from... Uh, yeah, so I'm working in the warehouse, packed boxes for like a year or two just like running the warehouse um blackout distribution was putting out like a lot of stuff at the time and uh yeah just warehouse guy would like update the kink website um it was just like a blog there wasn't like social networking yet we, we might have had a kink myspace and uh it just snowballed like year after year things grew and you know i had enough opportunity to basically move out of the warehouse and just focus on kink stuff building a new team doing trips I started planning all the marketing for it. We started with like Mega Tour Six. It was like a huge trip for everybody. It was kind of like the start of like the new kink that was kind of like handed over to us. Yeah. After like a period of time, handed over to a, what nineteen-year-old kid. Yeah, I mean my my Matt Antis, who's a year older than me, who also a Rochester local. Um, he he was already starting to do like dabble in product design. He's he's a really smart guy and. Um, started dabbling in product design and taking over more responsibilities like of of the brand and um yeah i started taking over took over basically at the time i guess it would just be marketing for the brand i was doing a little bit of social networking at the time that there was to be done but a lot of it was traveling we traveled with the team nonstop. um we were you know all over the place well yeah those first few years that i got in kink and this is kind of like the this is when our stories will start to run kind of parallel to one another um it was like non-stop it was like yeah we were i, I feel like for a long time there we were like the first team that was constantly on the road well that's the thing like you asked that i have aspirations to be like pro or whatever but it's like i had aspirations to travel around and drive around with my friends and ride bikes like i 
I, I, of course I wanted to be pro. Like, I still would love someone to, like, ask me to be on their pro team. <laughs> but, like, it just... I was, I was more I was more fascinated with the fact that like we could spend our days doing this somehow I've seen it I've seen other people do it somehow right and uh, and uh, when when I start, got this opportunity with King to be the team manager and blah 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 I start getting budgets and I get a card and I get keys to the, uh, to a van or to a car and I get you know a bank account and it's like all right you know I know you know you know what to do here's the budget to do it like and it was like at 19 years old planning mega tour six i was like that was that was my like dream my dream come true like someone was like here's money to do whatever the fuck you want yeah you're living like i know what you want to do is is what's good for kink so go do it with these guys yeah well yeah you could see in uh, i think a lot of that is zach putting a lot of trust in in both completely yeah and matt like that's big to put his company in the hands of like two kids yeah i don't know whether he saw something in us or he was like i you know crossed his fingers or right just naive or what but well he doesn't seem the type to just throw caution to the wind right so yeah i don't know but i was young yeah i mean he said i did mega tour six i was 19 you were 24 25 i was 26 fuck yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was just talking about this talking about this to someone the other day on that trip i was like talking to people like dude it's so sick that Doyle's out here still doing it still doing it dude like he's still out here 25 I'm hoping I'm still running at 25 it's like now I'm 32 like just saying the same fucking saying the same yeah oh it's so funny it's trippy but yeah Zach Zach was fully trusted fully trusted me and Matt and um, over time you know let the leash go out further and further until um, he was able to basically step back a bit and focus more on his business as a whole. You know, he owns Blackout Distribution as well. So yeah. there's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, and over a t- period of time from, you know, 2006 to, to well, now, you know, the brand has been, you know, um, ran by, you know, myself. And Matt Antis is now the brand manager, pretty much the guy that runs, runs the, sh- the whole show behind the scenes. Yeah. And, and um, obviously we have art director and stuff like that. It's definitely it's grown so much. Yeah, I mean there were four day. there were four employees in 2006. It's so funny you talk about that door because that door is still like when I got on when I got on Kink I remember you opening the door yeah. and there's this little scrawny J row no tattoos. <laughs> I was like hey I was like oh my god I had met you before in Florida uh, and uh, I was like wow this is the kid that's I'm gonna be talking to I was like, like 18 18 19. I think at one point Zach was like hey um, like I was calling Zach to get product and you're like hey just Talk to Jay. Jay. Jay will sort you out. I'm like, oh, I got to talk to that kid? <laughs> I'm a grown man. I'm 26. Yeah. Oh, but, that's amazing. And I had no idea what I was doing either. But after that, it, well, it seemed like we were all in like a new place. All, yeah. this, all of a sudden, it's like the new, the new team is in a new place. Where are we going to go? And it was just like you were quite literally driving the ship. So yeah. Like, okay, we're gonna hit the road. And we're gonna do this. We're gonna film these video parts. I got. Yeah, I got. I got that. The opportunity to you know live out my dream to a sort of like here's this. Here's this. Like go, you know, do cool stuff with it and make us look cool. Whatever. Did you feel like super badass when you had the Ender in that uh, the Megator Six? I did feel badass. Yeah, uh, video was good. People, I, that's like my one. This is my 15, 15 minutes of fame. You guys were just in Chapel Hill. Is that still there? No. Remember no, it's not there. Remember you went to you wanted to go back in 180. That uh, I think we got our timelines mixed up because the last time I was there, it was still there. I haven't been back in a long time, but I don't think it is. Okay, we were all we wrote a spot actually that Daryl's like I think this is actually where that spot was. Okay, they, yeah, that they tore down that whole building no. right across the street. Everything they built is skate stop now, but it's still there's still some stuff to ride. But yeah, nice campus, huh. UNC Chapel Hill. Right. Yeah. Well, okay, I don't want to like skip over anything too important but uh we could start to talk a little bit more about like fun things we can talk about your diet we can talk about the blanket (laughs) uh we could go in a variety of of different directions but i it's these little quirks that i always found like really amusing about you that i was like thought were were really funny like we'd be driving somewhere in the country and you always had your backpack you know, to your to your right or your left, right. and you just like reach in the backpack and kind of fumble around a little bit, and then you put your hand back on the steering wheel. 
And then like, I don't know, a couple of minutes would pass by. You put your hand back in the, in the backpack, pull it out, keep driving. And I remember at one point, I'm like, what are you doing? And you're like, oh, dude, I'm just touching my blanket. <laughs> this is the intro to the blanket. And I'm like, what? You're like, yeah, I, I have this blanket. I just, I, I have to touch it. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then like later on in the trip, I noticed like you bring in the blanket to bed with you and you're like putting it on your face and you're constantly smelling it. And I'm like, dude, what's the story with this blanket? <laughs> and you're like, dude, I was, the day I was born, I was put into this blanket. And it's mm-hmm. been with me every day, every day since. I hope you don't mind me telling this story. I mean, uh, it's out there. I mean, if, I, if anyone knows, if, if you know me at all, you, you probably well, know that already. This is getting to know you. Right. It was in, a prop, it was in some props issues. But okay. you, yeah. But yeah. no, I'm not, I mean, I'm not ashamed of it at all. But, I, you know, I was born in this blanket. And fuck, it hasn't left my side since for some reason or okay. another. If this is too embarrassing, then we can always <laughs> edit it out. No, although, I mean... It is what it is. Okay. I just have this, like, fucking... I don't know what it is. I, I remember telling my wife about that. And she's like, oh, it's like a security blanket. Like a literal security yeah. blanket. Like, he feels secure when he has it. I was like, yeah, it's true. It's, it's just always there. It's always in my bag. And I, I'd ask you, like, so what happens if you don't have the blanket? And you were like, I don't know. Never happened. It's never happened before. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And I, I think me and some of the other guys are like, well, we should try and hide it. And right. No one. Everyone would be like, dude, no, you just don't mess with the blanket. I've, you know, I've, I've spent lots of times with some crazy people, some animals. And, <laughs> and no one. <laughs> some animals. No one's, no one's fucked with my blanket. That, yeah, I, there's some lines you don't cross. Just be, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> and another thing I always thought was like really interesting about you is, and a lot of people can attest to this, but your diet was so insane. When, yeah, the when, diet thing was weird. Just really annoying for everyone to like harp on it for so long because I felt fine. Uh, seemed like a lot of people had a harder time with it than you did. Right. I, we went out to TJI Fridays one day. People very, were very concerned about me. People were concerned about your health. and you're, You were very skinny for a while there. Um, good days. Good days. But I remember we went to, uh, we were riding trails in Southern California all day long. Lonnie Paxton's trails. Shout out to Lonnie. Um, Good times. Well, and they were Heath Pinter's trails, but they're at Lonnie Paxton's house. We rode the trails all day. And we're, we're going home. We're going back. We all stop at TJI Fridays. Everyone orders something to eat. We're all starving. We all get, like, normal meals. And you order a hot fudge sundae. <laughs> and I remember, like, we were all used to you at this point. But I remember Heath looking down. And he's like... The motherfucker just ordered a hot fudge sundae. What's up with this guy? Like, this is dinner. We were riding all day in the hot sun. Like, you're dehydrated. It's obviously weird. It was weird. Right. Um, and I, just a young buck doing whatever I wanted. Yeah. But that's just one of the, like, random quirks that I wanted to point out that I... It, I, it was just bad. I just don't eat fruit and vegetables and drink a ton of soda and just eat pizza. It's just bad. But you're on a much better diet now. For sure. No, I don't even yeah. notice anymore. Like if you're Now I could blend in with a normal person. Okay. For sure. <laughs> Tony almost got me on Freaky Eaters when we were living out in Long Beach. I had an interview with... What is that, a show? Yeah, Freaky Eaters is like a TLC show. Where they followed people around that like ate couch cushions and shit like that. <laughs> yeah. I went in for an interview, like a screening. I'd never known that. Tony like submitted my info unknowingly to me. And then uh, they were like, yeah, come in for an interview. And they tried to craft me a little story about how I, like, could only, like, eat bread. Like, just bread, bread, bread. Yeah. But I didn't get a call back. Yeah, bummer. <laughs> There's a lot more freaky things out there that people are eating. Yeah, there were some people with some big issues. Yeah. Big time. There was some show I watched where, like, this woman was obsessed with Lysol. And she would have, like, ten bottles of Lysol and, like, just fill up her tub and just breathe in, like, all this, like... Uh, Lemon pine. Yeah, see, Lysol. I'm just, I'm just like indulging in chocolate. Yeah, yeah see, I'll be all right. Nothing wrong with that. But now, like I said, I'm, I'm, I can blend in now. Um. So, if 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 people can't gather this by watching or listening to what we're telling, like you're that, you might be the most mellow guy that I've ever met. And like, there's a phrase like people, like, man, that dude doesn't give any, that that dude doesn't give a fuck. I've always thought, like, no, that dude gives a fuck. J-Ro doesn't give a fuck. Like, <laughs> I've never seen you, like, stressed out or, like... Uh, I keep it mellow on the outside. Dude. I give a fuck. I'll put that out there, though. Okay. I I'm give sorry. a fuck big time. I didn't mean to, like, assign you with that, that title. But um, 
But I've, I've, I know how you're putting it. I feel what you're putting down. Yeah. Like, I've never seen you, like, stress out, freak out, or anything like that. I've seen smoke pouring into the van that we're driving in while right. we're going uphill. And you just got your head back. You're like, yeah, whatever. No right. big deal. Yeah, for one reason or another, um, I'd like to think that I don't have, like, a, a short fuse. But sometimes I do. I don't know. It depends. Maybe you talk to, like, an ex-girlfriend. She might tell you a different story. But. I saw you freak out when we were in Nashville. And those skaters were getting in our faces. Yeah, we had a little altercation. There. And yeah, Team little, Rochester was. Had like, to get a little puffed up. You and Tony, I was like, oh, <laughs> dude, Rochester just stood up. <laughs> I like the dude picked up his board and he was gonna swing it at uh, I think Tony. And you got in the guy's face and you go, hit me with your fucking board, <laughs> fucking hit me, hit me. And I was like, wow, dude, Jesus Christ. He's just trying to impress the road, the road full squad. Dude, everyone was like, damn, Team Rochester. Because you and Tony were like so in the mix. Yeah. I think Tony actually set the whole thing off. Yeah, and Tony probably had his bike like ready to go. Yeah. Sprock it out. Yeah, uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. And like everyone else had kind of backed off. Even the skaters were like, oh, hey, dude, we were, we were just <laughs> talking shit. We were just joking. I was like, damn, Rochester just... Yeah, I had some some friends that were pretty volatile. I don't know if I'm using the right word, but they would get set off pretty quick. But uh, no, I like to, especially when we're doing what out like like you see me in like a lot and mostly like BMX aspect of life and chilling, not riding. But um, what we're doing is so ridiculous. It's hard, and I've I've spent so much time with people that I felt some you know certain people on different trips and from different places where you know i feel like they they don't understand that some people don't appreciate what we're doing and how like ridiculous it really is yeah because you know i I think i for one reason i spent so much time thinking about how crazy it would be when i'm older to have to like work and do all this stuff even when i was a kid in high school thinking about the future was like it was hard to like put it together and the (laughs) the fact that we're that uh, we're out doing what we're doing and like delaying that is just like a reason enough to just keep it mellow and just enjoy like the dumbest stuff that's happening not stress not get pissed obviously that's easier said than done sometimes but you know with certain situations that happen whether it's there's smoke pouring into the van or you know whatever it is i like to just keep the po- keep the positive vibes up i'm not like a super positive guy though so i don't know it's it's weird it's like it's not that i don't care but i like just we'll figure it out. It'll work out. That was a much better answer than I expected. Really? Yeah, I thought you were. It wasn't just gonna... confusing. I was not like talking in circles. No, it makes it makes sense. Uh, like it's we're gonna we're not gonna die tonight about this whatever it is. Well, I uh, I was one time I was in the back of the van and I was watching the movie Garden State, and uh, there's the great movie. Great movie. There's the beginning of the movie when Zach Braff's character is on a plane and the plane is clearly going down and right. everyone around him is just freaking out and you just see him he's got this mellow look on his face and he's just like and he goes and he, he adjusts the air conditioning on his you know for his seat and uh, i remember uh daryl looking over my shoulder he goes that's jay <laughs> i was like that is jay right there you even kind of look like him yeah maybe a little bit so uh but I, now anytime I, I i hear that movie i think like of that scene and i think oh that's jay right there. <laughs> oh that's true um but, but yeah we'll get off some of your quirks and, uh, I guess I'm a, I hear I'm a quirky guy. I feel like I'm a normal guy. But it's that type of thing that makes you interesting. Yeah. I think. That's why I was like, I was super excited to sit down with you, even though I've known you for over a decade now. Right. I, I, actually, I was once, uh, you were going to have a write-up in Ride UK, I think, and Walter wanted me to write the intro, so I jotted down all this like quirky stuff <laughs> that I had learned about you over the years. And I, I think I actually wrote out this this. I don't know, three paragraph intro, and it, uh, it never got used. Oh, really? Yeah. So maybe. Come on, Walter. It, what's that? Come on, Walter. Uh, I think he just went in another direction. Yeah. I think Walter was so amused by all your quirks, too. He's like, no, I'm going to write it, actually. It's interesting. Like, I, I started, I got in with Kink so young that I really, especially with you, people like, like Kink Team, um, saw me go from like a teenager to you know, early 20s to mid 20s, like saw my whole growing up process from graduating high school, basically, just yeah. a year or two out of high school. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting to to see like the ups and downs of that, but just keep it mellow. Yeah. 
Um, maybe we should get back on a little bit <laughs> where we were going. Yeah. Uh, so, and again, I don't want to skip over anything that you think is important to talk about, but uh, I was just going to talk about some of your team manager responsibilities currently, like uh, planning trips on limited budgets, adding riders, subtracting riders, um, quote unquote babysitting when you right. have to babysit and like taking care of like taking kids on the road sometimes and yeah. you know kids want to get into mischief and you right. gotta kind of keep them tame talk a little bit about that um yeah i mean i have i have i'm really lucky to have the job that i have um you know a lot of a lot of people might think it's more or less you know taking orders and sending out product to people and planning a road trip and um but that's uh, got multiple levels, like you said, whether you're babysitting some kids or somebody being somebody's therapist or, uh, you know, planning, you know, accommodations, travel, whatever, whatever it needs to be done for the trip, um, all the way down to how you were going to market the trip, uh, how you're going to market the guys on the trip, picking the team, all that stuff. So um, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into it, but it's fun, you know, more than anything. At the end of the day, it's about like getting to ride BMX with the homies. Right. Especially people that you, you know, like to ride with. And yeah. You're stoked to watch ride. How important is it for a rider that uh, you want to put on the team, how important is it for that person not only to be a good bike rider, but to, like, have a good personality and can mesh well with the rest of the team and, you know, be in a van for 10 hours a, a day? I mean, it's super important. Very, especially, you know, especially for us as a brand, we spend a lot of time traveling together, um, cramming in the van or wherever in new countries and stuff like that. Places where you want to be with a group of people that you can rely on and trust and count on. Yeah. Um, so it's super important, along with being a good bike rider, which, you know, everyone is. Everyone's these days good. Yeah. A lot of kids have a lot of, lot to bring to the table when it comes to bike riding. Well, I remember there was... Uh... I was getting hit up by other like other pros were taking notice of what we were doing and we were traveling a lot and I'd have other pros quote unquote colleagues of mine like hey can you talk to kink for me and I I liked these guys and I'm not going to name any names but I was like there's no way that you could get in a van with us (laughs) and mesh with everybody um I I, I, that happened to me like at least five or six times where pros were other pros are like, hey, can you talk to so-and-so? And I'm, I, you know, I'm, yeah, of course I'll talk to him. I'll see what I can do. But I never would because yeah, I, I might have mentioned some names to you and you're like, yeah, right. They, they yeah, can't right. come on a trip with us. Like, yeah, it's crazy hearing about certain guys on in teams or trips or whatever mm-hmm. where they're not excited to go on the trip. Like, yeah, I got to go on this trip. Like, this guy, you know, these guys. Be, like, it's like they're not not going to hang out with their friends. They're like have to go do something they wouldn't be doing if they didn't have to right. when we're like going on a trip it's like we would be it felt like we would be doing that anyway even yeah. if we weren't on kink and it was getting paid for it, blah 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 it was just so much fun and uh you know it was just everyone was able to be homies right and i uh, i couldn't imagine not having a squad like that yeah it would suck it would suck it's, if you yeah if you had to take trips with a bunch of kooks even if you were like clocking a lot of great footage like yeah just you know not staying in touch in between trips and just yeah just having this kind of like businessy relationship yeah i guess yeah i just never wanted to i never saw it that way because i wanted to travel with my friends and like i those friends had to be pro riders for me to use this budget to do it with so (laughs) that's that's great though yeah just that vibe i think was super important that like everyone's down right you know it doesn't look good when you can tell through footage that these guys aren't homies right like it just takes away it takes away from the feel i think oh yeah fully and that's so much of what drives our industry is like the feel of everything yeah i mean at the end of the day you're marketing your brand and the stuff that your brand puts out and you want the best way i think to do that is to you know have a squad that looks like they're enjoying the products with each other and having fun and you know vibing and enjoying life on a bike and doing whatever they do whether it's traveling or going to contests or whatever it is yeah. um, i think it's just good to portray your vibe and i think it's safe for us to say that we want to you know having fun riding with the homies is something we want to promote yeah. all the time huh now um being that you have a lot of freedom in your job you've lived in a lot of different places 
Yes. Um, you left, well, you still spend a lot of time out in Rochester, but you lived, uh, you lived in California for a while. Yeah. You lived in Austin, Texas for a while. And you're currently living in Barcelona? I'm currently living in Barcelona, Spain, yes. That's like your actual residence? It's my residence. I've been there for about, for three and a half, four years now or so. Damn, it's been that long. Yeah. Jeez. Um, I have a lo- uh, non-lucrative uh, residency visa, which means I'm allowed to live there. Um, I have a bank account, health insurance, everything. But uh, I'm not allowed to like take anyone's job there, like in Spain. Okay. So that's part. That's like what my how I was able to get this visa so easily is that I have an American work contract with Kink. They say, okay, you know, as long as you have an American work contract, you can live here, and spend your American dollars here. We're fine with that. Okay. So it was, it was like a, this weird visa that like exists in certain countries in the EU, in Europe, and Spain was one of them. And I just did a lot of research and ended up like pursuing it and it was easy a lot easier than i thought it was going to be it sounds a lot easier than i would assume it's not like coming to the states obviously well right i mean you hear horror stories about people that want to come from europe or even canada to to move to the states i mean yeah it's not it's totally different you know it cost me a couple hundred bucks and you know a couple months worth of paperwork but besides that it's i've renewed it twice already and it's been you know it's been pretty cool yeah and you're living in a bmx hotbed so there's people probably coming through all the time yeah, Barcelona's big BMX hotbed, obviously. Um, and all the places that I lived up until that are. So I actually was lucky enough. In 2010, my boss at, uh, at the time was like, hey, you can take this job and what you're doing uh, remotely. Like, I was gone so much that I wasn't able to, like, keep up on the office work that had to be done, the op- office aspect of my job. I was doing, like, international sales and just some random stuff. So he gave me this opportunity to be like, you know, I think it'd be cool if you went to California, if you were here, where, wherever. And obviously, I immediately put together like the kink house Long Beach idea. Yeah. And me and Daryl headed out to Long Beach, California, found a spot for us. And yeah, I made the move to Long Beach because at the time it was, and it still is, um, obviously SoCal is one of those places for BMX and, and all that. But Long Beach was super cool. There was a lot going on at the time. The ride guys were there. Uh, the come up guys were there and the come up was popping off. And it was just a cool place to be um, in the mix of a lot of things, seeing a lot of riders, seeing a lot of things, seeing what's happening, whatever. It was fun. Um, kind of got over SoCal, but still still really appreciated being in the, in the shit. Um, so Austin was obviously like a natural place to go. Um, there's another BMX city that's, that's pretty sick. Yeah. Um, a couple of years there with the homies, a lot of the King team was living there for like a couple of years. Those are another, another really good couple of years. It was fun. And I was just looking for something new. You know, I had a relationship end and we needed like a, something new and fresh. And I was just basically traveling a lot in between uh, King trips. I would just go on my own trips and basically just kind of, I nomaded it for maybe like a year or so. Um, until I got to Barcelona in 2000, August 2014. Okay. Um, well, yeah, you've been there for about three and a half years. Yeah, well, so I arrived for the first time in August 2014. And I had, I had basically, like, shunned it up to that point. Because I was like, oh, it's blown out. And, you know, all the things you hear about Barcelona. You know, we're, we like to travel in new places, whatever. I ended up strolling through there by myself. You know, it was like... This place is, the hype was real. And uh, yeah, a year later, I was, had it worked out to like be able to stay there long, long term. And um, yeah, now here we are, I guess it's been th- four years. You think it's gonna continue? You think you're gonna be there uh, for- I'm renewing my visa, I'm going back next week. I'm renewing my visa for another two years. And then after that, I don't have to do anything but wait out of another five years and I can apply for that citizenship if I want. Think that's something that you'd like to do? I don't. I don't know. I've never. I. I would. Never could have told you I'd be living there, a couple of years ago. So I can't say that I will or won't be there. Honestly, I don't even. I don't know. Hmm. I'm like thinking about it every day. Where's the ne- What's the next step? Is it. Is it here? Is it here still? Or like. I don't know. I could. I don't know. Hmm. I really don't. I wish I do. I wish. But I that's knew. that's true. J. Row style though. Just kind of. I don't want to say flying by the seat of your pants because it sounds like you've always known what you wanted, but... I always knew that I wanted this and I got this 
relatively early and like have it i've been trying to like okay you need to take advantage of this now for as long as possible so i was like go to la i was like okay well now go to austin it's like okay i how what do i do now i was like all right we'll go to go out there like that's really taking advantage of this and uh i guess that's kind of like a driving motivation still is like you still have this opportunity to craft your life style the exact way that you want to and i guess that's what just keeps me thinking like what's next like what would someone be so stoked to do but there's no way they could do it it's like i could kind of do it yeah i don't make a lot of money or whatever but i for one reason or another i could make it happen yeah. <laughs> like i have the mentality like it's not like fly by the seat of your pants but if you want to live in europe and you make no money or it's hard like you could do it or if you want to move to la and live in a house for with 14 of your homies for six months <laughs> that can be done yeah um yeah i don't know it's fun though but <laughs> yeah i think that's kind of maybe we should end it with this like in that with bmx i mean it kind of teaches you that anything's possible like you can do all these things on you can travel on a limited budget you can go to these places you can do these things like people like if you talk to like quote unquote normal people they're like no that's not possible that's a, it, that's the thing people when they talk about oh, I'd love to go there right. it's like just go Yeah. book it you can take I know how much vacation days you have you get seven days for every eight to ten months that you've worked there so I know you have eleven fucking measly days off for your year it's like you can get there it's possible for you yeah. to experience that. And then next time, maybe you stay longer and longer. And then maybe next year, you're like, I'm going to work at this coffee shop here instead of whatever. Right. You never know. Right. It's just a matter maybe of Maybe like, you meet your husband or you meet, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, people just think it's not possible to do stuff that's not normal. Right. You know? But, and for me, bike riding made that, like, compl- everything possible. Like, it was possible for us to drive to louisville from rochester to ride a concrete skate park and then turn around and drive home like that was possible to anyone else including my parents that was like why that's not even a thing that's crazy that's absolutely insane to do that you know and still now we're like oh we're just gonna fly over here for a couple of days and then i'm gonna drive the van back over here and everyone's like how what yeah like what do you mean just yeah it's like you gotta sit in the van for 25 hours but (laughs) <laughs> you can make it work it's doable yeah, yeah. If, you, if it's fun it's fun yeah. but yeah I don't know I wouldn't say it's fly by the seat but it's like just keep it fun just appreciate it yeah. yeah I don't know if I'm like giving out like shitty life advice now no because here here we are I mean it's here we are yeah in Florida we're here in Florida <laughs> reluctantly but we're here we're down for the cause yeah man we're doing it <laughs> um, maybe we should end it with that I like that I think that's a good ending point, unless there's something else you want to touch on. No, just uh, travel and ride bikes with the dudes. Travel and ride bikes with the dudes. Bike riding opened up like the entire, like everything for me. It was the biggest education, all that same story. It was like, for me, the education of traveling and riding at the same time is like something that it can't even be explained to someone that doesn't have their own interest in something like that. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, it's just super lucky. Again, I'm so, so lucky to be, I rag on it all the time, obviously, but like so lucky to be from Rochester, New York and for kink and BMX in general, like I couldn't even, yeah. I don't know. So, I mean, you were opportunistic and it, it gave you these. I'd be these... like a has been hockey player, like ripping heroin with the homies. Seven oh, this is bad. <laughs> no, yeah, I had better. I was, I had better parents than that. I was grown. Yeah. I was, uh, had a good childhood. I met your parents and they're great people. They're great people. Yeah. Uh, very supportive. My dad's yeah. badass, Mark Ross racer. Mom's super chill. Yeah. It's a good squad. Great people. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, travel or ride bikes with the homies. I like it. Yeah. That's Follow perfect. Follow Kink BMX. And then what? Follow Kink. Oh, okay. Yeah, you got to plug your sponsors? <laughs> My sponsors. <laughs> I still I still wish I was a, I could be a pro bike rider. I lo- I ride still. Like, I'm a kid still trying to learn tricks, but yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, who's better at manual to 180s, me or you? Me. Then why have I beaten you at just about every manual 180 competition we have? My problem is inconsistency. Yeah, and I think you get nervous. I get nervous in front of riding in front of people, big time. Okay. Yeah. 
Big time. You got to handle that pressure. This is a story I'd like to tell quick. Please. I, probably, I don't know if I told you this or not. I rode this contest over the summer in Latvia. Oh, yeah. yeah. I rode summer symbol session. It was very nerve-wracking. It was a very weird experience to put myself through, but it was fun in the end. And at the end, you came up to me at the end of the thing, gave me a little hug, and you said, uh, Jay, I'm proud of you. <laughs> and I was like, respect. All right. I was like, Doyle's proud of me. That's dope. I was. I was really uh, proud of you. Like, obviously, you probably said that to me like a thousand times, but for that, I was like, it, it, it sounded like sincere. No, it was very sincere was because like, right. you were apprehensive to ride the contest. You were like, well, I don't know if I have anything to offer. Like, Dude, don't want to get last place. I'm the only one. You beat Dan, didn't you? No, that was the goal. Okay. Normally, I would have beat Dan, but he was on it. He yeah. rode really well. Normally, he folds. Strong first run. I folded this time around. You folded him nice. But I did not get last place. I folded him nice table. Yeah. You're the only one hitting the hip in the street contest. Only one hitting the, <laughs> only one hitting the hip in the street contest. Only one two packs, probably. But yeah. It was fun. It was a good experience. But you told me you were proud of me, and I was like, thanks, bro. Still am. Still am proud of you. <laughs> okay. Thanks again for being a part of the podcast. Put your story out there. Hey, thanks for the nice little, little conversation. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks a lot. Thanks, bro.